0: If you got your Bibles, turned to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Like I said, this is our last Sunday in spiritual gifts. And uh, just because you're not saying anything, I'll go ahead and say praise God for you. <laughs> Appreciate you sticking with me uh, through this stuff. We've got another real doozy today. Uh, today I get to talk about Prophets judging prophecy, and then I get to talk about why women should be quiet in church. So, as we read and pray, please pray for me uh, that God will be gracious and teach us uh, through some very difficult texts. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to begin in verse 29. Uh, Let's read it all, and then we'll get going. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to prophets for God is not a God of confusion but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the woman should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that has reached If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. Thank you for having Plan. Thank you for your will that you are enacting upon the earth uh, in the midst of even our lives and our church. Uh, Lord Jesus, you're so gracious. You're so wonderful to us. Thank you for salvation. Uh, Lord Jesus, may we see the gift of salvation uh, more deeply and beautifully today as we study your word. God, give us insight. Father, may this not just be the end of chapter 14, but give us spiritual insight into your word and into how you work in the world. We want to be your people. We want to be better people in your name and for your glory. Help us, Jesus. It is in your name, Jesus, we pray, and every Christian said, amen. Amen. Prophecy. So here we are. Let's read these first couple verses together. What? We're we're getting an insight into a Christian church. One of the first. Christian churches 2,000 years ago and how they operated. We know that they modeled the early church after the synagogue and, and, and in the synagogues, you know, there was always the teacher or a rabbi uh, who would do the unrolling of the skull and the preaching of God's word. But there was, a, there was a lot more movement in the synagogue and in the early church. We can see from these texts, somebody had a song, they'd stand up and, and sing and somebody would have a word, they'd just stand up and give the the word, and here we find uh, one, two, three prophets uh, can be prophesying, and then those prophecies have to be judged to make sure. Remember, this is before the time of the New Testament canon. Were there books being written and circulated among these early churches? Of course there were. The writings of Paul, I mean the letter of Corinthians is being circulated uh, so that they can continue to grow. But not the entire New Testament Bible was even put together at this time. So prophecies had to be judged. They had to be weighed to make sure it was from God and spoke truth uh, and not just somebody had extra mushrooms on their pizza and felt like they had something to say. So verse 30, uh, verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh in. Now notice when we talked about tongues last week and interpretation and we talk about prophecy today, there, no one is losing their minds. No one is flopping on the floor like a fish. Uh, Things are done in order. There there is no chaos. Even in the more loose, structured early church service that we see in Corinth, uh, there was structure and there was order. Things were done in an orderly fashion. Paul doesn't want anybody walking in off the street and thinking Christians have lost their minds. Right? We read that last week. So let's dig into prophecy a little more with when this is happening in this service. And just because it happened in this service, Does that mean we should have it happen in our services? I don't think so, Uh, but this is what was happening in the early church, and all Scripture is God-breathed, and we need to see how this is done in this early church. That way, if you ever go to a a church where they've got people standing up and people saying things, you can know if they're doing it the right way or the wrong way, amen? Bryn, are we going to start doing this here at four points? Nope, I don't think we have to, Uh, but it is in the Bible, so we're gonna treat it like we treat all the rest of the Bible, amen? Because God's word is perfect and we are not. So let two or three prophets speak, let the others weigh what is said. It's gotta be weighed. If a revelation is made, if somebody says something that everybody thinks is true and it's affecting them in a powerful way, it's giving them new insight into the gospel and who God is and what God is doing in their lives, if a revelation like that is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you are you can all prophesy one by one so that you may learn and all be encouraged. Remember, all the gifts, all the gifts are for the building up of one another, for the, edification, the building up of God's people so that God's people can then make much of Jesus. That is the goal. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion but of peace. Now, we're going to start simply, and then I'm going to make things a little more complex as we move on, because it's just not a good sermon if you don't have some questions rumbling around in your mind, amen? Let's start by defining Prophecy. Actually, let me start a, a, a little different. Look down at verse 39. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. I think it is strange when uh, you get these hard cessationist brothers who do forbid prophecy and who do forbid speaking in tongues and who do not want to have anything to do, who don't even want to read these parts of the Bible, I I think God is being very clear. Do not. You should desire God's gifts uh, and you should not forbid the use of those gifts. Brent, you just said you didn't want any of this at the end of chapter 14 to happen. I don't, but I'm not forbidding it either, right? God's word is God's word. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I think I read this to you a few weeks ago, but uh, we're going to read it again today. Look at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 because this is important. Why, why are we studying this? Right? Because spiritual gifts are in the Bible. We want to desire them and we don't want to uh, do something that we should not do. Verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be in a lot of Bible today. Just get ready. Let's actually, <laughs> let's actually start verse 17. I'm sorry. <laughs> Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. So in the early church, people had this gift of prophecy. Sometimes it was something they had studied, maybe from the writings of Paul or maybe from the Old Testament. They had received revelation that uh, they were able to clearly take those Old Testament passages and show how Jesus fulfilled those uh, Old Testament passages. Sometimes it was studied. Sometimes from the text, it looks like uh, it's spontaneous. Someone just feels like uh, uh, God drops some truth Uh, in their mind, and they want to share that truth. But in all these occasions, those words, just like 1 Thessalonians 5 said, has to be tested. Uh, What does it mean to test the words? To hear what was said. Does this honor God? Does this help us understand who Jesus is? Does this lift up Jesus? Uh, uh, Is he more lifted up in our minds than he was before? If not, Take it, throw it away, but if so, praise the name of the Lord. This is what was happening in this early church. But now let's bring some definition to it. What is prophecy? We've already talked about it, but real quick, let me show you in the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, You can turn there with me if you'd like, or they'll put it on the board. 1 Peter chapter 4. In the context of speaking about spiritual gifts... Starting with verse, let's start with verse 9 because hospitality is a gift too. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now God is good and he gives a lot of grace and there are a lot of gifts. Chapter 12 has got two lists. Romans chapter 12, Ephesians 4, right here in Peter. There's just there's speaking gift and serving gifts along with hospitality. He's just uh, Peter's books are a lot smaller than Paul's, so just know that he's he's a fisherman. He don't use lots of words. Few words, fine. So verse 11, a little Kevin Malone. I think whoever speaks. As one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. So, so, how does the Bible, if we're looking for a definition for prophecy, how does uh, Peter uh, talk about this speaking in the church gift from First Peter chapter four? He speaks of it like this: one who can rightly declare the oracles of God, one who rightly speaks the truth that comes from God. It's not their message. It's not their word. It's God's word clearly spoken to other people in the church so they can be built up and so much of Jesus can be made. It's a pretty simple definition, amen? Everybody in the church should want to, desire to be able to rightly. See, it's not so scary when we talk about it this way. Now, I'm going to make it scary a little bit. We're going to talk about a guy named Agabus, but but think simply about these things first because it's not that scary. To I want to be able to rightly declare the truth that comes from God's word. Amen. Right. And aren't these incredible times that we live in? We have a New Testament. We've got 27 books uh, that God has put together through eyewitnesses who were there, who saw Jesus, uh, walked with Jesus, was taught by Jesus, and saw the resurrection power of Jesus. Uh, we've got these 27 books. We know what God says. Uh, so how would we weigh if somebody stood up and said, the Lord is, you know, whatever. He said, the Lord is good and was worthy to be praised. Well, of course we would say, That encourages me. Amen. Because that's a verse that comes right out of the Bible. This is how we weigh. This is how we judge uh, when people would say something in a prophetic manner, rightly declaring the words of God. Now, who is prophecy for? I just told you everybody should should want to be able to do that, but let's check our Bibles. Turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 17. We know the scene. Joel, an Old Testament prophet, prophesied hundreds of years before. And now this event has occurred in the lives of the New Testament church where God has poured his spirit out uh, on these first believers, empowering them to make much of Jesus. Uh, Don't forget Acts uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. This is the purpose of all the gifting of the Holy Spirit, all the work of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1a, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the the ends of the earth. Holy Spirit's gonna gift you and give you power so you can make much of Jesus uh, until he returns, amen? So this unique one-time event of Pentecost that we find in Acts chapter two, rushing wind, tongues of fires, you guys remember the sermon. Peter preaches a sermon after they all come out of the upper room so everybody on the street can understand what's happening. And this is what he says. He says, and in the last days, quoting from Joel chapter 2, specifically verse 28 here. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, on your sons and your daughters. They shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. So who is the gift of prophecy for? It's for boys and girls, men and women. Brent, we just read women aren't supposed to talk in the church. We'll get there, I promise. But prophecy... To rightly be able to speak the oracles of God is for men and women in the church. It's for everybody. So to rightly declare the oracles of God is a gift for everybody. We should all desire it. Let's just say amen and leave now. Amen? Amen. That makes it easy. But hold on. Let me make it confusing. Turn to Acts chapter 11. I wish I could just leave it there. But there is portions in the new testament we're going to see this guy named agabus calls himself a prophet he has this prophetic gift and he foretells future events which ooh, yes it's weird <laughs> but you need to know about him because this is the word of the lord amen Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. Let's read the first time we see Agabus. Then we're going to see him again a little later in chapter 21. Where, where did I say we were going to start? 20? 17? 27, okay. There we go. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem. Now let's just be, let's, let's be quick to know what this is not. Because we know the Old Testament office of prophet ends with John the Baptist. Malachi prophesied, the, old, the last Old Testament prophet, that, that John the Baptist was going to be coming in the spirit of Elijah. He was going to be the last prophet. He was going to make way uh, the path of the Lord. And of course, we know John the Baptist did come, and he was followed right by Jesus, just like the Old Testament prophet says. So Old Testament prophet. Someone who God raises up to say, this is the word of the Lord. Because again, remember, they didn't have a lot of the Bible back then. So God would raise up a prophet to speak uh, in the way that was written down and became our Old Testament Bible. It is God's word God used through Elijah and Elisha and and Jeremiah and Isaiah and all those Old Testament men. But after Christ, something changed. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 with me quickly. I should just quote it. I can. (laughs) Hebrews, there we are. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Long ago, many times, many ways, God spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, when did the last days begin? Pentecost. We just read it in Joel. And in the last days there, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and your sons, your daughters are going to prophesy. So hear from Hebrews. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You don't need the office of prophet anymore because God has shown up in his physical presence. God became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived the perfect life. We cannot live. He died in our place for our sins, conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave on our behalf. Amen. Jesus did that. Now, now we have Jesus. We don't need the Old Testament prophets anymore. So who are these guys calling themselves prophets? They're people that are walking around with this gift of prophecy. We're going to see a couple more people like this. Now in the, those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus. Ladies, if you're pregnant, you think it's going to be a boy? <laughs> Probably not going to find that one in your modern baby name book. Agabus, so one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world and this took place in the days of Claudius and we know... That this did take place, we have secular uh, records from two thousand years ago in, in Rome. This this famine that that went through that that uh, the Romans blamed the Jews on the Great Diaspora occurs when all the Jews are displaced. Man, the Jews have had a rough go of things for their entire existence. They have always been hated by everyone around them from the, the day when God first gave them the land till the the day that they came back and retook the land in 1948 I think it might be 47 and 1948 but their neighbors have always hated them it's why we need to pray for the Jews why why are they hated by everyone else because the Jews stand up and said we have the real God and all your gods are fakes It's hard being God's people sometimes, but that's why all their their nations hate the Jews and have always hated the Jews because God's word through the Jewish people held the early civilizations accountable to the word of God and what God said, just like the church is holding the world accountable now through the right proclaiming of God's word. Amen? So, but he foretells this future event that does come to pass. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Now, look at Acts chapter 21. We see Agabus show up one more time. Again, foretelling of a future event that's going to happen. Let's start in verse 8. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea... And we entered the house of Philip the evangelist. Evangelism is a gift of the Holy Spirit, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So men are prophesying, women are prophesying. When women are told to be quiet in the church in a second, it can't mean prayer and prophecy because we've already seen them using those speaking gifts in the church. Paul's not going to contradict himself. Verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us. Look, here's what I would never want to happen in a church service. Because this is, remember our moniker, don't be weird. Coming to us, he took Paul's belt and then bound his own feet. I mean, it's just weird anyway if you're like, hey man, can I see your belt for a second? <laughs> I mean, how did, that, how did that even play out? So he takes Paul's belt and he binds his feet and he says, by the way, if you go to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen to you. They're going to bind you. They're going to they're take you. Uh, it's going it's to go badly. Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hand of the Gentiles, which did happen. And Paul knew it was going to happen. Always be wary. If anybody ever comes up to you and says, i got a word of the Lord for you, Right? The Lord just spoke to me, and he wants you to know. And if it's a a future event, a foretelling of some future event, listen, you don't have to lose sleep over stuff like that. Just let it enter your ears and run down your back. Uh, But if it were to be be a true prophecy, it might be something like what you would have here. Paul, Agabus is telling Paul a future event, but the Lord had already confirmed in Paul's heart that uh, he he was going to lose his life for the gospel. So it wasn't new information for Paul, but instead it was confirmation that Paul was doing the right thing. Are we all tracking there? Again, if the the soothsaying witch comes up to you and says, (laughs) the Lord said you shouldn't go trick-or-treating on the 31st, You don't have to do anything with that. (laughs) Let your kids get free candy. Come on. (laughs) Where am I? Verse 12, I think. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Don't you just love Paul? Hey, Paul, you might not want to go because it might cost your life. Yeah, I know. I can't ready to die as gain. Let's go, Jesus. Love Paul. We should all have that kind of courage. Amen. Uh, so in Acts, in Ch- let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14. So in 1 Corinthians 14, we have an actual church service that has come together where some people with the gift of prophecy are standing up one at a time and saying, thus says the Lord, uh, uh, this is the truth that comes from the Lord. And uh, all that is being weighed as it always should be weighed and tested, uh, especially now that we have the complete New Testament canon. anything. Any Christian ever says to you, in church, out of church, anywhere, look how carefully I'm sticking in God's word. I want you to know where it all comes from because every man's a liar and only God speaks the truth. We have his truth. Everything should be judged. Anybody that ever comes up to you should be judged by chapter and verse. Amen? This is how we weigh. Now, okay, Brent. There's the the prophets judging. I shouldn't put that in my mouth right now. I'm preaching. The prophets are... That would have been a train wreck. The prophets are judging the prophecy that's being given in church. Uh, Brittany, I I don't... I'm not from a Pentecostal tradition. I don't have any room for that in an actual... Well, church... Praise God, church services are very different. Churches are big, Our church is bigger than probably any church written to in the New Testament. It would be hard to pull something like this off. And just because, again, it happened in some early churches doesn't mean it has to happen in every church, but we do need to be open to it. So how should it look? Well, at four points, we're not changing anything about the way we do things. So just know that. But there are guys who try to be faithful Uh, and pull this off. The only guy I've been able to, to see it done somewhat well is a guy named Sam Storms. How many of you know who Sam Storms is? You can visit his website. You can look at their church. Sam Storm's an awesome guy. He's a reformed brother. Uh, he's an expert on uh, the First Church Awakening and Jonathan Edwards. He loves the gospel. He gets the gospel right. He goes chapter by chapter, book by book, just like we do here. But at the end of his services, which, by the way, if you haven't read the book Kingdom Come, I've read it three times. It's a glorious book. Every time I read it, I want to be an onmill But I just he can't, he can't steal the deal with me, so good solid trusted brother but they have times of prophecy at the end of their church and even though they're trying to be very biblical with it it just—it always comes off weird so praise God we don't have to try that and if anyone ever wants to stand up in the middle of a service and say thus says the Lord it will be weighed harshly strongly and you might get embarrassed. So it's part of the Bible. We don't forbid it. We believe everything in God's word is true. But that doesn't mean we have to try everything when we come together with this many people. Amen. All right. Now let's get to women not talking in church. <laughs> As in all the churches of the saints. The women should keep. Now, now we know what this can't mean. Acts chapter 11 that, that great chapter on head coverings verse 5 says every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her so we know there are women praying and prophesying in the church these are spoken gifts we know it's happening Paul does not contradict himself here so what in God's name uh, can he be suggesting uh, is happening here what what kind of sign, what kind of speaking can the woman not do just like they can't do it in any of the other New Testament churches. Well, let's unpack this. And first, we've got, we need to talk about the difference between male and female. Uh, it's going to be very important. If you've got your Bibles, turn back to Genesis uh, chapter 1 quickly. I should probably just throw these verses out. But again, I want you to know this, is, this stuff is in the Bible. This is not the opinions of men. We got to unpack in 16, almost 17 minutes, the differences between egalitarians and complementarians. Egalitarians believe that they would read a verse like uh, 1 Corinthians 14, women keep silent, and they would just say, that's old, that's nonsense. Because none of the Bible speaks to any uh, church practice anymore. Uh, Egalitarians believe women can be pastors, men and women are interchangeable. Uh, To be honest with you, egalitarians believe the exact same thing the alphabet community believes. That's how you know what you're reading your Bible wrong. If the alphabet community is reading the Bible like you do, man, watch yourself. You've done something wrong. They use places like Galatians chapter three that says there is neither any slave nor free, male or female anymore in Christ Jesus. They say, see, the gender roles are completely unended, upended, Uh, they're, they're not for us anymore, but brothers and sisters, there is still male and female. What Paul is talking about in Galatians, which we're gonna study next year after Zechariah, I can't wait for Galatians. What he's saying there is at the foot of the cross, when you are before Jesus, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter what socioeconomic setting that you come from in front of Jesus. All things, all people are made level at the cross. And that is the truth of God's word, amen. That's absolutely true. But there's still boys and girls. There's still people. Uh, did you know there's almost 40 million People in slavery today, mostly in the Middle East and in Africa. They're still slaves today. They're still free people today. God doesn't obliterate these things. No, every time Jesus, listen, it's the difference between egalitarian and complementarians. believe God created male and female, and He did it in such a way that they perfectly complement one another to fulfill the roles that God has both given the male and the female. Uh, every time Jesus talks about gender, Brent, why, why, is, why is this so important? Why are you going all the way back? Because our world is so confused about gender. We don't even know that we think boys and girls and masculinity and femininity is some huge spectrum and you kind of can pick where you want to be on the spectrum. That doesn't come from the Bible. Every man's a liar. God speaks true. There is male and female. Jesus grounds everything he teaches in the New Testament on the creation account. The Apostle Paul, everything he teaches about marriage. And I wish we had time for, you know, Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, but you're going to have to read those on your own. But everything Paul teaches on marriage and male and female, he grounds right here in Scripture. So that's where we're going to go. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Let's start back up at 26. Then God said, let us make man. Now, notice God is speaking in plural because God is a plurality. Uh, The Lord our God, Ehad, is one. He's a community of one. He is Father, Son, and Spirit, the mystery of our triune Godhead. Uh, 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 Augustine said, to study, uh, to deny the Trinity is to lose your soul. To study the Trinity is to lose your mind. After reading De Trinitate that he wrote, I agree with him. Every time you try to find a metaphor to to use, to, to try to explain, you always end up in heresy. Every time. So just believe he's Father, Son, and Spirit, and he is one God. But he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds. Let them have dominion over the sea, the birds, the heavens, and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The first thing we know right away is that both male and And female are given amazing dignity and honor and worth. They are equally honored by God to be made and created in the image and in the likeness of God. So, is man better than woman? No. Is woman less than man? No. Does every woman think she's better than a man? Yes. Does every man think he's better than a woman? Yes. Yes. But we are created by God, each given dignity, honor, and worth as male and as female, both equally image bearers of God. There's no room for chauvinism. There's no room for feminism in the Christian circles, although you find a lot of it in egalitarianism. If you just don't be egalitarian, look with me at chapter 2. We're going to have to get real. This is so important. Now, Genesis chapter two. A lot of people think there's two different creation accounts, but that's not what occurs. We've got the macro, uh, cosmic view of chapter one. God just creates everything in seven days, and, or six days and rests on the seventh. And then chapter two unpacks the seven days of creation and looks a little deeper. What we find in Genesis chapter two is Adam is made first, and he's put in the garden, and he's, he's got jobs to do. Work is not a part of the curse. Thorns and thistles are a part of the curse, but work is not. We were always created with our hands to be used and to be fruitful. Uh, There's no lazy people in the kingdom of God. We're meant to work. We're meant to lift up King Jesus and make his name great in the world. And Adam's naming all the animals and he's doing the work and he's even tending uh, the, the, the trees in the garden. And he notices... That all the animals have have a partner. All the animals have someone uh, that that connects them. And he's wondering where. And so God puts Adam into a deep sleep. And this is important. And this is not. This is God's word. This is not myth. This is not made up. This is what God did. Out of the dust of the ground He made Adam, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. But for Adam to have the partner to to help complement uh, him and all the things that God had given him to do, he was put to sleep. And from God opened his side, and from a rib she formed or he formed woman. And then he sat Eve in front of Adam, and Adam said, Whoa, man. <laughs> my, we don't have time to be funny. But, but my favorite part of the Genesis account, the point of the Genesis account, is they were naked and unashamed. Praise the name of the Lord, amen. Thinking about my wife. <laughs> from, the, from the rib, from the side. What is, what is the Why would God do that? Why does he choose a rib? To show bone of my bone. Adam actually sings a song. He's so in love with Eve when God presents her to him. He sings a song. This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, from the rib showing that side-by-side companionship that every marriage must be built on. Male and female, equal, image bearers of God, needing one another, equal, but they're made a little different and they're given a little different roles. Let's look at role. Actually, let me read verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. Every man in the room said, amen, I know that's true. Every time my wife leaves to go to ladies retreat, my kids almost die (laughs) it's not good for Adam to be alone I will make him a helper fit for him now automatically everybody in the room that's been trained by the feminist movement says well that's sexist But for God to make a helper for Adam is not sexist. Did you know that God even uses the word paraclete, the word helper, to describe the the work and ministry of of himself, his Holy Spirit? He calls his Holy Spirit our helper. It's not a degrading term. It's a very meaningful term because men need a lot of help. God. God. Has placed, you know, God, the, the Bible says God made man with, with uh, a larger shoulders, a larger skeletal structure because a lot of weight is put on the man. There's a lot of responsibility. Man's created a little bigger so that he, not so that he can abuse uh, those that are weaker, but so that he can be helpful. That he can, he can, um, uh, uh, ah, what does he do? He, how do I say it, Jeremy? There's two, two P's. Protect and provide, there it is. I need help from my brothers. Men are made a little bigger to protect, to provide. That's why uh, they're given the responsibility of protection and providing. A lot of people call that leadership, but honestly, it's just responsibility that God has put on the man, both in the home and in the church. We don't have time to read all those verses, but the, the woman is a helper to us. Now look at the fall. Some things are better defined. To the woman, he said, verse 16, this is after the fall. Sin has ruined everything. And to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire, now watch this verse. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. How many of you know what a contrarian is? Everything you do, I would do differently. <laughs> everything you say, I would say differently. Differently, your desire shall, uh, it's gonna be in your heart to see all things contrary uh, to the way your husband is doing it, but he shall rule over you. Here's how I know, now, all my egalitarian friends say this. They say that's just God, uh, he, but, but it, that's the fall. That's because of sin that that is. The, but in Christ, uh, right now, we go back to a pre-Edenic place that, that uh, we live like they were living before the fall. Here's how I know that's wrong. Number one, we have a New Testament with lots of rules in it. Right, We still live in a fallen world. We still need God's commands. And what God says in every place is still true. There's no pre-Edenic, uh, great, sinless world that we're a part of. We're saved from sin, but we still live in a world fallen by sin. And guess what? There's still thorns and thistles, right, guys? Right, Works hard now uh, for the man. But for the woman, here's how I know I'm getting this right. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. God's talking to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So so here's what the fall means, ladies. And I can just, sometimes when I'm driving, I can see it. I look over and Sarah's sitting there and she's looking at me and she's just got that look on her face You might be the stupidest man on the face of God's green planet. Ladies, it's funny, but this is your struggle. Your struggle is the eternal struggle of wanting to take the wheel from your husband and drive the car the way that you want to drive the car. Which would get a lot less tickets and probably be safer. If I let Sarah drive. All right, that's Genesis. Let's go back to uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 14. So God made male, God made female. They are equal. They are uh, honored, dignified by God, made in his image. But there are some differences between them. And so what does this woman not being able to talk in the church mean? Let me read one more place to you really quick uh, from uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. Yeah, chapter 3. Because this is, this is helpful. This is helpful to us. Verse 4. He's talking to, to women. Actually, let's start. Let's start all the way back to chapter 3. And we're going to be fast. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Ladies, did you know that every time women are spoken to in the New Testament, they are told to submit. Now, again, some people would say, well, that's sexist. Uh, But it's not sexist. Submission is a part of everyone's life. You can find functional subordination within the Trinity himself. God the Father wills. Now, he is equal among himself. He's not, there's no part of him that's less than another part of him. So hear what I'm saying. But in the functional economy of God, within space and time, you got the Father who wills. He's working through the Son. And everything the Holy Spirit does only lifts up and brings us closer to Jesus. The Holy Spirit submits to the ministry of Jesus In this way, within time and space, not eternally. He's all God. Holy Spirit's not less than, but he does submit. In the Trinity, you see submission. Men are told to submit. In marriage, in Ephesians 5, we're to submit to one another, wives and husbands alike. But the women has a larger submission role. Ephesians 5 goes on to extrapolate Men submit to God. Did you know men are told to lift their hands when they're praying in church? Why? Because we're to show that we are under submission of God. Submission's part of everybody's life. Look at this. Wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even some do not obey the word. They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. You've got a role to do and a job to do. When they see your respectful and pure conduct... Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. By the way, ladies, just let me, just let me thank all of you in the room right now. Uh, praise God we don't have anybody who's trying to dress like a Kardashian at four points. And that's a big deal. Thank you. Uh, Which, by the way, braiding your hair is not a sin, but there is a way prostitutes looked in these days, and what the Scripture teaches is don't dress up like the prostitutes. Uh, Let people know that you're taken. Don't be open for business when you walk out uh, in the streets like the Kardashians. Verse 5, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, here's the shot he gives to us. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Another way that's translated is be sensitive with your wives. And all the ladies said, amen. The Bible is true. Be sensitive. Be understanding. You are a little stronger. You are a little bigger. Don't use your strength to bully or abuse. Use it to protect and use it to provide. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. We are to show honor to one another. There is mutual submission happening, but now that we fully unpack from creation through the command, the clear commands of God, we can go back to 1 14 and figure out what is this talk they're not supposed to be saying in church when we know they can use words in church. Every time women are talked to, they're told to submit. And every time, listen to this, God creates Adam first. God chooses a line of priests who are all men. God chooses a line of kings that are all men. God chooses a line of prophets that are all men. John the Baptist comes as a man. Jesus comes. God reveals himself as father. And when it's time for God to become flesh, he comes as a man. Why? Because men throughout all of these cultures had the responsibility of protecting and providing those who were weaker than them. Jesus comes as a man. He chooses 12 men. They choose more men after uh, they are on their deathbeds to lead the church. Uh, men are called the head of their home and the head of the church. So now we can really understand what's being said here. Uh, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2 really quick. You're not tired yet, are you? We can do this for another hour. Here we go. So what's the talk they can't say? Oh, where do I want to start? Let's start... No, we don't have time. Let's start at verse 8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Men need to show in the public worship service that they are under submission. Likewise, also that women... Should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman, here it is. Here's more speech that is forbidden for a woman. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first creation and Adam was not deceived but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor yet shall we she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control and ladies how are we saved through childbirth Jesus Christ came as a man born of a woman all men and all women are saved because of the incarnation the birth of Christ but here we find our clue what's the teaching What's the speaking role that a woman is not permitted to do in any of the churches? Look what chapter 3. Look at the context. A woman can't speak with authority over a man. And then he goes right into the qualifications of who can leave the church, who can lead the church, who can pastor the church. And, and it is clear from 1 Timothy chapter 3, and it's clear from Titus chapter 1, that the elders of a church who do the pastoring... Pastor is a verb in the Bible, and it's always and only connected to the male elders of the church. Should a woman be a pastor in a New Testament church, the answer is clearly no. The one rule, the only rule a woman cannot do in the New Testament church is speak with the authority of the elder or pastor of the church. That's what, you know, I could have just said that and said, trust me. But we walked through a whole lot of stuff and now you know, are there any questions? Do not be egalitarian, be complementarian, live within the roles that God gives us as we help one another do the work of God in this world, which is going to encourage and build us up together as it lifts up the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love you. Thank you for your patience. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Father, sometimes your word is hard to hear. But Lord Jesus, may we hear it. May we be obedient to it. May we do things as you would have us do them. It is in Jesus' name every Christian said. Amen. Amen.